Welcome to the Clinical Consult from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. I'm Daniel Elkert, and today we're discussing primary care behavioral health care, and more specifically, how to shape patients and primary care physicians' expectations when practicing primary care behavioral health. With me is Dr. Kent Corso, a licensed clinical health psychologist in Virginia, board-certified behavior analyst, and president of NCR Behavioral Health. Dr. Corso's 2016 book, Integrating Behavioral Health into the Medical Home, advises business and healthcare administration professionals on launching team-based models of behavioral health in primary care, and he is a prior officer in the United States Air Force, bringing over two decades of experience in organizational behavior management, leadership, and business mediation. Dr. Corso, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be here. Kent, to start, I'd like to make a distinction between two important terms for our listeners. What's the difference between mental health care and primary care behavioral health care? In order to describe the difference between those two, let me start by describing the difference between mental health and behavioral health. A few years ago, there was a document published called the Lexicon for Integrated Primary Care, and it helps us understand what terms we should use when working in multidisciplinary environments. In that document, it scours the literature and comes up with the difference I'm about to share. Mental health pertains to things you'd find in the DSM. Behavioral health is an umbrella term that includes mental health. So behavioral health includes any ways in which habits, lifestyle, decisions, thoughts, or emotions impact health or mental health. So we would see mental health care as a subset of behavioral health care, and primary care behavioral health is a less intensive form of behavioral health care as compared to, let's say, psychotherapy. And then could you reiterate just, I want to make sure I'm understanding, so uh, primary care, behavioral health care, kind of where that, where that falls and how that's different from that behavioral health care you mentioned. So primary care behavioral health is a model that's been around for approximately 20 to 30 years. And it is a more brief style of assessment and intervention. There is some thought out there that it is brief psychotherapy It's not. It's distinctly different from psychotherapy. And the best way to describe the difference is that it's modeled after the primary care practice where there's brief assessment and intervention, but not comprehensive assessment and intervention. And most of the interventions are consisting of educating the patient about their condition and helping them set very specific goals to self-manage those symptoms so that they can improve their functioning. Okay, so one common scenario, and I know you've written about this and talked about this previously, is when someone with a behavioral health problem, say depressive symptoms, goes to a primary care clinic and the healthcare providers there subsequently lack resources or training to appropriately diagnose and or treat the patient's condition. In fact, this has been shown from data from the Center for Studying Health System Change. I have concluded that about two-thirds of primary care physicians struggle to get outpatient mental health services for these patients. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what some of the significant consequences might be as a result of that kind of a scenario repeating itself out on a broader scale. That's a great question, Daniel. The simple answer is that the consequences are what we currently see today in the way of easy or uneasy access to mental health, 
broken or unbroken payment models or reimbursement models and the wide array of quality that we see in the mental health system. In some areas of the mental health system, there aren't even quality assurance measures or checks or accountability around quality. So the, the, there are problems with our mental health system, but there are also problems with the fact that it has historically been a silo that is separate from the medical system. I think that probably 60, 70 years ago, we believed that it absolutely should be separate because it deserved a higher level of confidentiality, the problems were more personal, and so it made sense for it to be separate. And yet what we've learned is not only that it shouldn't be separated because the mind and body are in fact integrated, they're not separate, but also if we create silos and separate all these different types of care, we get poorer care overall because there's poorer communication, poorer care coordination and collaboration between providers of different disciplines. And I think you've, you've written about this in your book, integrating behavioral health into the medical home. And from what you're saying today as well, it sounds like there's a strong need to integrate behavioral health to these primary care settings. But within these settings, there, there's a subset of expectations that primary care physicians may hold about primary care behavioral health and what it has to offer. For instance, maybe expectations about what it is, its value, you know, in that uh, primary care model, uh, and some struggles with how they might go about treating behavioral health concerns. I guess, how, how can psychologists help shape these expectations of primary care physicians, you know, in a broader effort to promote patient well-being? I can't think of anyone better suited to educate uh, primary care providers or patients uh, and, and shape their expectations other than psychologists with our training in social psychology and behavioral psychology to, of, of course, include interpersonal communication skills and things like that, the nature of perception and anticipation, all of those cognitive processes, we're the perfect people to try to shape expectations. I think what's important is the reason why shaping expectations might hold so much benefit. Consider that take a very common, let's say, business example customer service. If people know what to expect, they generally will roll with the speed bumps and, and curves in the road. If they're blindsided, it generally leads to a more severe reaction, dissatisfaction, or even disengagement. We're all aware of the body of literature that discusses common factors theory. Of course, years ago, there were discussions in the literature about specific factors, common factors, and as you know, one of the common factors has to do with the patient's understanding of what's happening around them. So when patients understand what they're getting into from a treatment and assessment perspective, not only can they better engage with the process because they understand what it is, but it makes it easier for them to appreciate the benefits of it and seriously engage that treatment or, or follow through with whatever the goal is they set. Now from a provider, a PCP perspective, there's an array of expectations, and it all depends on, frankly, the extent to which the PCP is familiar with the literature on integrated care. At a rudimentary level, if a PCP is just warming up to integrated care and beginning to do integrated behavioral health, they might expect that the behavioral health provider tackles everything that comes through their door that's behavioral health in sort of a mini silo. And there are concerns with that sort of an approach, that the integrated behavioral health person sort of becomes this cell within 
primary care that is really exclusively mental health without lots of crosstalk with the, the medical team. So the task is to help PCPs understand that our job is to make their lives easier. When I use PCP, I'm saying primary care provider only to be inclusive of nurse practitioners and physician's assistant. The nomenclature differs depending on whether you're here or in Canada and, and so forth. Um, I just want to be inclusive of that cohort of providers because they are a big part of our workforce. So helping the PCPs understand that our job is to make their lives easier, whether that means helping them with the patient who breaks down crying in their office because maybe he was just diagnosed with cancer, or whether it is helping him do a differential diagnosis for a certain patient, and maybe the provider is wondering if this is more like dysthymia or recurrent major depression. So helping them understand how we can be useful is part of our biggest goal. Consider that we are turning traditional mental health care on its side to some extent by doing integrated care and some models such as primary care behavioral health, we are doing something that more resembles primary care practice. Again, it doesn't involve the practice of medicine or prescribing, but it is very much functioning as a primary care provider. So teaching them how to use that service is of the utmost importance. And similarly, patients have no idea what to expect. So teaching them how to use our services becomes equally as critical. So what specifically can psychologists who are working with PCPs say, like what language can they use to clarify their role or to convey the importance of treating certain behavioral health concerns? Great question, Daniel. First of all, if, if I am taking my practice and integrating into a primary care setting, in order to be effective, I need to adopt some of the cultural practices and habits of that context. And so if I use words like my patients or session, uh, I'm conveying to the PCP that I have my own caseload and that I conduct psychotherapy sessions. If you look throughout the medical system, there aren't many other specialties who use the word session other than psychotherapists. You might hear an audiologist or maybe a physical therapist on occasion use the word session, but I don't think we'll ever be confused with them when we're inside sure. a clinic. So, so <laughs> it really only conveys one thing, and that's that we're doing psychotherapy. So instead, we use the words appointment, the words visit, uh, a, a common cultural thing we do in mental health, specialty mental health, is we have a do not disturb sign. In primary care, if you ask people to not disturb you, you will have at least a half hour to two hours of extra work at the end of every day that is requiring some sort of immediate response or coordination. And of course, if it's the end of the day, your team has gone home and you are left there to carry those things into the following day. So just accepting interruptions and not having do not disturb signs or white noise machines. Daniel, when you think about it, a lot of the habits that we do in specialty mental health, while they're well-intentioned, they might actually further stigma or they might further keep us apart from the general medical system. For example, think of the idea of having a separate psychotherapy record or the idea of having a white noise machine. It's predicated on the idea that the psychologist is talking about highly, highly personable, uh, personal, sensitive things with the patient. And so the meta message that is sent is, patients, your medical care is totally confidential. 
but this stuff is really juicy. We want to take extra precautions to make sure nobody hears this. And yet that's not found it. I can think of many types of medical exams or procedures that are highly personal. And I'm not a woman, so I don't have a women's well appointment annually, but that's a highly intensive sort of intimate appointment that is highly personal. Um, so I think that adopting some of the more mainstream medical model cultural habits helps to keep PCP's expectations in line with what we're actually going to deliver, which is a primary version of behavioral health care. I hear what you're saying. I find that that's a really compelling answer. And, you know, right when you said that bit about the do not disturb sign and the white noise machines, I was immediately back in my ethics coursework that, that I took in my doctoral program. And I'm thinking about, you know, standard four, where we have this hugely important value to privacy and confidentiality in our ethics code. So I'm trying to balance out, you know, how do, how do we maintain that commitment to, to ethics and then also wanting to recognize some of the points that you're making and, you know, effectively adapt to some of the practices that might be seen in these primary care behavioral health environments? That's a very real challenge, Daniel. We're in the age of shared medical records and electronic medical records, where anyone from the front desk staff to the physician may be able to just pop into any patient's record and read what happened in the last 10 appointments. So it's a very real challenge. Having said that, HIPAA gives us way more permission and latitude to share information with providers who are on the patient's care team, not irrelevant providers or others who don't have a need to know, but it allows for much more communication and collaboration than most providers seem to think. In addition, how we document is of the utmost importance. For example, highly subjective medical notes are not only more revealing of the patient's personal details, but they're less helpful to the rest of the primary care team who need to be reading those notes to understand how to collaborate and and deliver a multidisciplinary course of care to the patient. So there's a lot here from HIPAA to electronic medical records, and I think we could spend quite a bit of time on each of these areas. These are hugely important but I do want to ensure we can have some time to discuss what expectations of patients might be in these primary care behavioral health settings. And I I heard you mention that earlier, and I want to focus in on that a little bit more. Uh, Based on your experience, when patients report to a, a primary care clinic with behavioral health concerns, what kind of a treatment experience or process should they expect to receive? That's a difficult question, Daniel. Let let me try to answer it. So what they should expect is a multifactorial answer. What I hope they will expect is primary care behavioral health. But that assumes that someone, it could be the clinic, it could be the behavioral health consultant, but someone explains to them what this service is. So that there may be clinic literature explaining what the primary care behavioral health model is. There may be clinical brochure or a clinic brochure stating what the patient-centered medical home is and how integrated behavioral health fits into that. Step back for a moment and think about how popular culture depicts psychotherapy and mental health treatment. You have everything from Dr. Phil, who is very hands-on telling people what to do, to Dr. Oz, 
to movies like Analyze This or Analyze That or shows like The Sopranos, there is such a wide range of expectations that an American can develop by watching what psychotherapy looks like in popular media. By contrast, if you think about why people go to primary care, they go to either get an answer or a solution. The answer is a diagnosis and the solution is some sort of a treatment. If we can help patients understand that what they can get from a primary care behavioral health appointment is either an answer or a solution or both, then we are putting our best foot forward. The more we can align with what they expect of a primary care appointment, the more uh, we will be aligning their expectations with what we're going to deliver, and therefore the more effective the treatment will be. So from your perspective, you know, patients are coming in, they're receiving all of these messages from variant media sources about what they might expect. But in that moment, in that role, it's important for that psychologist you know, to clarify with the patient, you know, here's X, Y, Z, what might happen, and to help them move towards a place where they can sort of get, uh, to use that language, answer that you used and get a, a better understanding of what the treatment process would be Know, for their particular concern that they're holding. Um, exactly. And, and so part of that touches on the difference between a primary care behavioral health appointment and a specialty behavioral health care appointment. In a specialty mental health setting, I may spend 60 to 90 minutes doing a full psychological uh, and diagnostic interview, clinical diagnostic interview, covering everything from the patient's upbringing to their educational history, social history, medical history, mental health history. I mean, there, there are so many different areas that when we are in the role of a specialist, there are so many different areas that we're looking into, and yet maybe that patient only wants to talk about one of those areas. Well, that's the beauty of primary care is that patients are equally as complex and multidimensional, but they're coming in telling us the one thing they want to target. And in that sense, it makes our job pretty straightforward to target that one thing. It's when we drift into more of a specialty role and start assessing or targeting other areas that are, that are not really what they're most concerned about today, that's when we run into problems. So, mm -hmm. so helping shape their expectations requires us to stick with the purpose and function and climate of a primary care setting, which is the patients are coming in because there's something they want an answer or a solution for. So we've covered a lot of territory today, and this has been a really insightful discussion. Before we conclude, I, I do want to just touch on a few resources for our listeners that they can pivot to if they would like to learn more about our, our topic today on shaping patients and PCP's expectations when practicing primary care behavioral health. What would you point listeners to? So this is, a, this is a bit of a downer, Daniel, but there okay. aren't, aren't really any resources out there about shaping expectations. I think one of the most beneficial things people can do is become a greater part of the community of that where integrated care happens. The Collaborative Family Health Care Association is a great or professional organization. The APA publishes a journal for the organization called Families, Systems, and Health. And then quite honestly, we are our best resources. So consulting with colleagues, discussing regularly how uh, 
you are adjusting to your new role or maybe you've been in your role for years and maybe you've drifted a bit back into a specialty role. So just really self-monitoring and, and constantly evaluating the extent to which you are following the model the way it should be done and sticking within your role as primary care. I think that's probably the, the best resource I can think of. Well, I heard you say there aren't many resources, but I can certainly think of one, and that is your book, Integrating Behavioral Health into the Medical Home. And I want to just remind our listeners that that's a phenomenal resource, and it is available readily online. Dr. Corso, I do want to just thank you for joining me. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And to our listeners, I hope you'll join me next time on The Clinical Consult, brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists.